everybody, and welcome to Comic Club. We are your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. I am your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I am joined, as always, by Adam, enemy of the institution, Cook. You better beware, baby. Great to be here, Blaine. We are streaming today live from our villainous secret lair. Quick warning, we'll be spoiling this month's comic, so proceed with caution. Adam, take it away. What did we read this month? This month, we read Nimona by Noelle Stevenson, which tells us the story of the young, shape-shifting Nimona who joins the local designated villain Ballister Blackheart to take down the corrupt institution while generally wreaking havoc along the way. Ballister soon learns that Nimona is more powerful than she seems, and her complicated past comes back to haunt her and forces Ballister to take action and become the hero he was destined to be. What did you think of this one, Blaine? Adam, I got to say, I was absolutely smitten with this comic. I loved it. I poured over it. I read it so fast because I couldn't stop. I think whenever, you know, we chose this again because it's Pride Month over here at Comic Club and the rest of the world, and we wanted to jump on, um, you know, supporting people of, you know, different backgrounds. And in this in this one, we're supporting a LGBTQ creator, and this has some of those story threads. But for me, I think this is a YA. It's categorized as YA, and whenever it comes to young adults, I'm always a little on the fence where I'm like, okay, is this going to be too sort of beneath me? Is this going to be, you know, it's like I feel like I've kind of grown out of Harry Potter and kind of grown out of this. And I got to say, like, this is perfect for kids you know, kids, I feel like if I would have read this in middle school, high school, I would have been obsessed with it. And even as an adult, it just really hit hard. It has like awesome, awesome character moments. And we're going to get, I really want to get into those moments, but I mean, it has some like serious emotion to it. And then on the other side, it has comedy. And that was something that I um, really dug as well. Um, Adam, what did you think of yeah, I was on the same page as you. I had a really fun time reading this, and I thought that uh, it really towed that line nicely of being, you know, relatable to kids and also relevant for adults. And it was funny without being juvenile, but it was still youthful and playful, but still funny as an adult. I didn't think, oh, well, this is just for kids. I was enjoying the comedy as much as I think I would have like you if I was a middle schooler. Yeah. And then the other thing is I thought the art was just so charming because, you know, I come from the school of superheroes, Marvel and DC. We, we say they have kind of a house style. Everything is so clean. Everything is so precise. Lettering now is done with a computer. So everything just like it's all in its place. All the colorings are these perfect gradients. And this is just sort of that sketchy kind of, it's almost like uh, she's drawing it in her notebook while at school. You can just imagine her pouring over and creating character sketches and having a lot of fun with it. It looks like it comes straight from her notebook. The lettering in this is really kind of hand done, almost looks a little kind of juvenile, like like kids, like script. And that adds so much personality. Yeah. And I think that the art does a really good job of lending itself towards the humor, especially. It reminded me a lot, you know, because it was originally a web series. It does have this sort of, um, you know, like newspaper comics sensibility of humor where there are these jokes just in the action of the characters and kind of the way they're moving or something or just like a little, you know, onomatopoeia sound effect can really punctuate the joke in a funny way. 
And something about that sort of quick hits, like easily digested jokes and storytelling, I think really was working for me and reminded me a lot of some of my favorite old newspaper comics that I used to read, you know, like um, the funny pages like Calvin and Hobbes, obviously. Right. Um, this revolves around the three kind of leads here. We have Nimona, Ballister, Blackheart, and then Sir Ambrosius Goldenloin is how I said it in my head. Is that how, is that how you pronounce his last name? Goldenloin? Goldenloin? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, what, what was your take on those three characters? What, like kind of break them down for me. It's fun. They all have a lot more to them than meets the eye at first glance. You know, Ballister is this Basically, he's been typecast as a villain at this point, but he was originally supposed to become a hero. And there's this really fun sort of framework for it all called the institution where it's like this overarching, you know, puppet master who's controlling this medieval world where people, you know, go to school to become a hero. But if you don't make it, then you get kicked out and you have to become the villain. And it's all sanctioned by the institution, which I thought was really fun spin on everything. But yeah, so you got Blackheart, you got Nimona, who is just kind of just a source of energy. She's just a little firecracker, keeping things interesting. And then Golden Loin is sort of the, um, you know, the unrequited love, the unanswered questions from Blackheart's past. And you know, the whole time that there's a big history between them, but they kind of keep it at arm's length for a while and sort of keep you guessing what the nature of their relationship is. Yeah. And you mentioned that about the institution. I thought that was such a great point because it's really kind of playing with the tropes of fantasy, hero-dumb villainy, where Golden Loin is certainly playing his role as most heroes do, right? He's like the King Arthur following the rules. Um, but, you know, he's not making his own rules. He's he's answering to his director. You know, he's answering right. to sort of the people above him. So he doesn't have a lot of his own sort of uh, morals kind of going into it. He's just always been told this is the right thing to do. And so he follows that. And then on the other side, Ballister Blackheart also plays his role. He is in a role, which is the villain. You know, he he got kicked out, and so now he's the villain, but he has his own sort of way he goes about it, where he doesn't kill. He's got he's a still code. Kinda, he's got a code, exactly. He's got these kind of nerdy hobbies. He loves science, and, you know, it, it, he's always trying to disrupt the institution because the, dis, the institution has kind of turned against him, but he's not truly, truly kind of evil. And then you introduce Nimona, which I think is you were kind of mentioning like, you know, a force. She's an outsider. She's somebody who kind of comes in and she does not fit in the sort of institution. She does not fit in that sort of traditional story mechanisms where she is killing. And that kind of horrifies Ballister at first, you know, and she like, she wants to be sort of the villain because of, you know, her past, which we learn about later that, you know, Ballister isn't really because he, at the end of the day, he's a part of the system and she's not. Right. Yeah. She wants to break down these, you know, forces of oppression, basically. And I think there's some pretty obvious queer readings of that story about what the institution represents. And especially her being a shapeshifter is a pretty clear, I think, metaphor for, you know, people who are trying to find their identity and people who can, you know, have multiple identities at once and how society at large has a really hard time dealing with that. And I thought that Nimona was kind of the example for, you know, she's the the hero in that situation. Exactly. And I mean, to the institution, she's a monster, you know, like, like being 
not fitting in the box, you know, with a kind of binary box of, again, we're, you know, talking about the reading of it, not fitting in the binary box of hero, villain. She is then cast as a monster and they are just going to straight up destroy her, experiment on her, like learn kind of what's going on. And I just think that's fascinating on how she sort of disrupts the sort of society that's established here. Um, Another question I have for you, the world is humorous in itself because you know on the on the front it looks like straight up medieval you know knight's armor but then there's also technology can you talk a little bit about kind of your take on um, on that piece yeah i love i just love how they sort of just play with everything play with the conventions of a kind of like sword and sorcery story where they have these you know there's knights and there's knight tournaments and there's you know evil people and there's kings but then there's also like a news channel and there's you know a a very obvious like government who's running everything that's pulling all the strings and sort of breaking it down you know there's these people who are just like the one crazy scientist that he meets who's just like well you know it's an interesting technology i don't really know what it does but it's green it's cool yeah and just kind of poking fun at these i think institutions of that kind of storytelling it's just a really fun approach to it and breathe, breathes a lot of life into it. It, it does. And I, I really thought it was unique. I mean, there's like Zoom, you know, they have like FaceTime calls in it. They have, you know, they have kind of like science, which they call kind of like mysticism. Like there's yeah. uh, almost like steampunk, that science, that scientist you were talking about. But I love kind of this mixture of like modern slash futuristic technology. They have like lightsabers at the end where the guys have like these whips and these crazy technology mixed with like the sort of sword and sorcery and dragons that we're kind of used to in traditional. Yeah, fantasy. it's like he's making like laser guns and stuff, and then yeah. she's turning into a dragon at the same time. Yeah, and and again, like a lot of that is played like for humor, and I think it works really well because it really almost takes you aback whenever they're just like you know declining FaceTime calls and stuff. It's just funny. Yeah, I thought that they did a great job with the humor. They can really punctuate jokes so well because the way that it's set up, the panels. I don't know. There's something about it just really worked, or she's just really hilarious. Really done well, and and I wanted to kind of touch on the history of the comic real fast. Noelle Stevenson started this whenever she was a student at Maryland Institution of College and Art. It was an assignment that was create an original character. And she visited uh, an idea that she had in high school where she would draw this female shapeshifter, and that's kind of birthed the Nimona character where she's transforming into different things. And also her look throughout the course of the story, she changes um, hair color, um, she cuts her hair at different times. Uh, then it was picked up like while she was in college, it was picked up by an agent who sold it, and she was able to actually complete this as her senior thesis for college, which is awesome. It was published as a graphic novel in 2015. So it's just fascinating to see that this was kind of like the first work of Noelle Stevenson. And again, started off as a webcomic where, from what I've heard in interviews from her, she really didn't know sort of the direction and what it was going to become. It was just like, yeah, I was posting pages. And if you read it, the first couple chapters are very short. And then later on, they really expand and start to build out the plot more in big ways rather than just kind of exploring little bits of the, the world. Yeah, those first few chapters are, you know, pretty jokey in the sense that it kind of is like built around a joke where she probably thought like, oh, this is funny. Like, this is a good idea for a comic. And then you can tell, just like you said, the further they get into it, the more the plan is really revealed. And I bet she kind of saw the legs that it was having, the success that it was having and had to sit down and figure it all out at some point. 
Yeah, and and this book has really taken on kind of its own form in academia. And I wanted to read to you this quote because I was looking at some different uh, pages. You mentioned a queer reading of this book. And um, this is from an academic journal by Mahalia Precup. And I just wanted to read this to you. This was like in the thesis of her like academic journal. She says, in this article, I'm interested in examining the manner in which the ambiguous nature of the title character, a combination of human-animal, vulnerable immortal, girl monster, helps unveil the questionable nature of pre-established definitions of good and evil, as well as the connection between violence and the construction of social roles such as hero and monster. I also argue that the comic productively positions monstrosity at the intersection of violence, cuteness, and queerness, and thus manages to unveil not only the subversive potential of a specific kind of cuteness, but also a usable alternative to the aesthetics of the heroic body. Oh, oh, I'm breathing hard. That is a mouthful. <laughs> you did a good job. I was I, worried I, halfway through, but you made it. I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna. I was like, I'm gonna read some, you know, um, academia about this, and then I read that, and I was like, you know, j- you know, that is not for me. That's why we podcast because we're here to have fun, baby. That is that is dry, but it makes a good point at the same time. And again, this comic has really taken on its own form, and people have. Um, read into this. And I think uh, Noelle Stevenson is kind of so outspoken in her life in different ways, um, which we're going to go into in a bit. But uh, I I just found this so fascinating. Again, I was smitten by this book. I loved it. Let's get into some of our favorite lines. This is the section of the show where we showcase the written word and highlight our favorite moments of dialogue, exposition, and more. Adam, why don't you start us off? What is your first best line? Uh, My first best line is when they're at they go to this like fair a science fair i believe yep. um Nimona's trying to cheer up Blackheart and so she's like let's go to this science fair and they go to the science fair and they're walking around and they meet this really interesting uh scientist who will come play a big part later on and she's got a, a kind of crystal ball looking thing and it's emitting these green glowing lights and um basically she greets Bowser and she says hello i see that you like my anomalous energy enhancer has caught your eye and I just loved his response. He says, well, I do like green glowing things. And I think that's just like a, you know, kind of a good example of the the sensibility of this, um, just poking fun at the situation and how kind of ridiculous it can be. A hundred percent. And I think it gets kind of into the science and stuff without actually trying to get into the science and details of it. And I love that. They like a lot of times in science fiction and fantasy, they try to get really into the weeds and start explaining, well, this is, you know, this semiconductor that harnesses the power of the string theory. And, you know, they kind of get all superficial. And this is poking at that. Like you said, it's like, oh, I do love green glowy things. Yeah, because it does. It sounds really, you know, like fancy and you don't even know what that means. Anomalous energy enhancer. And that's his response. Uh, I love it. I have a, uh, my first best line is also a little punchline here. It's whenever Ballister and Nimona are first breaking into the institution science lab. And, you know, she's kind of, it's their first kind of outing. She's kind of being quirky. She's poking this thing. He's like, don't touch anything. And then all of a sudden, in pops Golden Loin. And he shakes his fist in there and he says, Halt, you villains, unhand that science. And I just love that <laughs> line because his, 
the way he looks, the way he talks, it's just like this sort of cliche and then just unhand that science. Again, just like we were talking about, it's so unspecific what they're actually doing, but it's just like, I love science. Yeah, it's hilarious. And like, unhand that science (laughs) is so funny. Yeah. What do you got next? My next one's a good piggyback off that because I just thought it was really funny and wanted to call attention. Um, Later on when there's a you know, some kind of a night, a jousting tournament or something. And they, um, announce these, these nights and they think that Sir Golden Loin is going to be there, but he's not there. The other two nights that compete, I love their names. They say on one side, Knight Errant, Sir Coriander Cadaverish. And on the other, representing the institution, Sir Mansley Girthrod. <laughs> And I just really, I could see, you know, Noel probably having a really fun afternoon just coming up with different names, you know, Sir Spindly Stagecoach, just whatever. Yes. <laughs> just ridiculous kind of, again, these cliches, like, Amb- I mean, Ambrosius, Ambrosius and Ballister, those two names are just perfect. I love, I bet she has a notebook of even more. Yeah. So good. What do you got? All right, my next one is, you know, pivoting to more of a serious one. And again, that's something I love about this comic is is there's the jokes and then there's the emotional beats. And it's kind of right after Ballister and Golden Loin have this sort of truce parlay where they're meeting in this bar, you know, under, you know, conspicuously meeting. And then it turns into an all-out punch-out fight, beating each other up. They fly out the window and... um Ballister gains the upper hand. Golden Loin grabs him. It's like, oh, and he falls to the ground. And Blackheart says, what if I cut off your arm right now? Then you'd see how fast the institution would cast you aside, just like they did me. Golden Loin says, you, you wouldn't. And he says, no, I wouldn't. And I'm the villain. What does, what do you suppose that says about you? And that was like, again, that, that was sort of the peak of kind of their relationship where it unveils the most about their history. And then again, it plays with uh, the the roles of it all is, yes, Ballister has become the villain, not because of anything that he's done. It, he was kind of chosen to be the villain and they cast him out. And because of that, he has like adopted that role. But really, he knows the truth, which is that Golden Loin in, you know, a freak thing was the one who blew off his arm. And he's the one that's actually the villain. Just to, you know, in a couple seconds, everything changed. And I love that scene so much in those lines. One of my favorites in the book. And yeah, I think that speaks a lot to the idea that good and bad aren't so easily defined. Good people can do bad things and yes. bad people can do good things. And a hero and a villain isn't as easily defined as it seems. And that's such a great example of that. Yeah. And, and, and outwardly, externally, even the way they look, the way they're portrayed are, again, this sort of like – it's the cliche of it all. Blackheart is, you know, black hair. He's got the the goatee, goatee. the slash across the eye. Golden Loins, this beautiful, fair-haired, you know, knight. And I, I think it's just kind of playing with those expectations. And you feel for both of them. I mean, I never hated Golden Loin either. I always felt for him because we've all had those moments where we've made a mistake and it seems like a mistake. But for him, his mistake was what got him promoted to be the hero. And I just, I don't know. I, I love that. It's, it was a great story. What it do you really got was. next, bud? 
My next one comes right after that, almost the next scene, actually. Um, and it's just a nice moment of levity. I went with some of the funnier ones, I guess, that I was just tickled by. But anyways, Ballister gets home and he told, um, you know, I don't remember where he said that he was going, but Nimona was staying back by herself and she can tell that something's wrong. She says, what's happened? Did you get into a fight without me? And she's kind of try cheer him up, but also just being Nimona. She says, tell me where they are. I'll mess their faces up. And I thought that was just a hilarious um, moment of Nimona's character where she's being true to herself, but also trying to kind of break the the tension a little bit in her own charming, quirky way. She is like this younger, like it's like a friend's younger sister that is always hanging around and like pestering you and being like, hey, Adam, can I play with you? And I yeah. love the way she's drawn and portrayed because she's got these like little round eyes and she looks so cute and then she like has like this like i'm gonna mess their face up in the way she talks i remember there's one where she's like i'm a shark and like just yeah. she's she's like you know juvenile in the way she kind of acts and the way she approaches the world and it's so endearing yeah and that mix you know put up against her power and how she can just kill people and does is a really funny and fun combination and speaking of power, that goes straight into my next line. It is right after they have this huge drag out fight um, with the institution. And in fact, they Nimona turns into a monster and they lop her head off and then she grows it back. And they're like, oh my God, like we are dealing with something different. And Golden Loin is injured sitting in a hospital bed and he's debriefing with a director who's called him up on, on Zoom. And he says... We assume she was a girl disguised as a monster, but she's not. She's a monster disguised as a girl. And I love that. I love the kind of who is Nimona. You know, she lied to Ballister and throughout the whole early chapter, she's always very skittish about her past. You can kind of tell that she was traumatized, um, you know, maybe experimented on. We're not really sure. And it's in sort of at this moment that precedes this where you really do see, oh no, she actually is kind of something else and her powers are far greater than we even really knew. Um, getting kind of into that, Adam, sort of the end, if we can kind of use this as a jumping on point to kind of talk about um, the end of it all and kind of the plot itself. What was sort of your take there on the end? I was kind of all over the place because there's Nimona who's captured and in the tube, the the human form. And then there's like the 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 dark dragon form of it at the very end. Um, what what was kind of your take on the monstrosity of Nimona? It was a really cool reveal, like really smart and well done. Um, and they kept teasing it, you know, pretty early on and did a good job, I think, paying it off. And I think that some of the best endings are kind of an ending that um, you didn't expect and you maybe didn't even hope for, but that is still satisfying. And, you know, I think I really wanted Nimona and Blackheart to be able to team back up at the end and to kind of like be this awesome super team. But that really wasn't in the cards. The further they got into it, you could just see that something had to give. And, um, and they all got to kind of do their things and demonstrate their heroism in different ways. And ultimately they did break down the institution and, Nimona gets to go her own way. Blackheart yeah. gets to go his own way. And they're both kind of have their own different 
you know, versions of peace, inner peace, and it's sad that they're not together, but it does, does end on kind of like a nice, really hopeful note where he is just wondering, I never know where she could be. You know, anytime I see a cat that looks at me too long, I just wonder, is that her? Anytime I see someone with like red hair, I wonder, you know, is that Nimona? And it's just a really nice ending that wasn't forced and you know, gave me an alternate ending than I hoped that was even better, ended up being better than what I wanted. You, you said that perfectly. And I think the thing that stood out to me is we were rooting for Balser and Nimona to team up again at the end and kind of reach that conclusion. And unfortunately it doesn't happen. Stevenson here is kind of playing with expectations of these stories where traditionally Blackheart will go back in, save her and kind of have that happy ending. But this is kind of untraditional and Nimona's monstrous side really does unleash in a shocking way at the end. I mean, I was like, whoa, like that dragon was just going berserk and for good reason. I mean, her, her whole life was, was really rough up to that point. Um, but if, uh, awesome ending again, a little ambiguous and, um, a little bit of hope, uh, there at the end. So I thought that played off really well. Great. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our best lines. We're going to move over to the best at what they do. This is where we talk about the creators themselves covering how they got started in comics and highlighting their other notable work. There is only one creator here, and it is Noelle Stevenson. She wrote, drew, did the inks, letters, colors for this. I mean, what a force. Again, we've kind of talked about um, different artists. Whenever there is somebody who writes and draws, we call them a cartoonist. So here I'll refer to uh, Noelle Stevenson as the cartoonist of this. Her bibliography is Nimona, which we just read, published in 2015, Lumberjanes is a book for, I believe, Boom Studios, which she co-authored. Um, that ran from 2014 to 2016. It won two Eisner Awards and one Glad Award. Next, she has become the creator and executive producer of She-Ra and the Princess of Power, which is a Netflix kind of re uh, revitalization remaster of She-Ra show, which was like, I think from like the seventies, kind of like a, uh, Conan the Barbarian, kind yeah. of like a, an old cartoon sort of thing. And, um, I think it's, it's very popular. I think it's won a lot of awards. I'm kind of waiting for my daughter to get a little bit older before we watch it. I've started it a couple times and it's just kind of a little, a little too old for her, but that's something I want to visit. Cause I really like the art and the colors. It looks really cool. In 2020, last year, she created a memoir in pictures called The Fire Never Goes Out. I kind of mentioned that she is a part of the LGBTQ community. There's two things I wanted to call out here, which is two free things that you can go out and read. If you are listening to this, I highly recommend both these. One is her coming out story from Oprah Magazine. She kind of, uh, Noelle Stevenson breaks down how she was raised kind of evangelical Christian. She has two older siblings, two younger siblings. She always felt like the fifth wheel. And it explores kind of her journey from high school to college to, you know, learning about women to being interested in them to eventually coming out. It's told in pictures and words, which I thought um, was really great. It's really um, kind of tells her side of the story. And then last year in 2020, you know, in the height of the pandemic, she released this mini comic called The Weight of Them. And she is referring to her breasts, which she had top surgery um, in 2020. And 
uh, it really, again, tells the story in comic book form of her journey from, you know, getting a mastect. How do you say that, Adam? Uh, Mastectomy. Yeah, there you go. So it it is um, fascinating and it really is kind of revealing. And I thought it was awesome that, again, these cartoonists, the way they communicate best is through their art form. So telling the stories, these memoir um, bits of their own life and these pivotal moments through the form of comics is how she communicates best. And both these are free. You can find that one on Gumroad. Go read both of those. They're very short and um, very revealing. She has won, um, I, I mentioned two Eisner Awards. She won an Eisner Award also for Nimona. So that is um, Best Graphic Album Reprint. Nimona was also nominated, did not win the National Book Award for graphic novels. Um, she identifies as transmasculine and by gender. So he, they, she, I keep referring to as she, but um, again, she had top surgery last year and I think she's kind of in the middle of a transition and learning a little bit about who we are, which speaks to a lot of the themes of Nimona, of Nimona, the lead character who is always changing her appearance, shape-shifting kind of understanding. And the best way to kind of get insights on that are those comics that I just referred to. Definitely go check those out. So we are going to move over to one of our favorite segments of the show, the Art Awards. This is the segment where we hand out specific visual moments in the book. It can be a single panel. It can be the coloring or lettering. And sometimes it can be a whole scene. Adam, start us off tonight. Hand out our first Art Award. What do you got? I'm going to start things off with an old classic. One of our favorite things here. At Comic Club is when you play with the form. And there was one page that I really liked um, during the science fair expedition where it's just kind of um, showing you all these different things that are happening at the science fair. And you don't really get a sense of what order they're happening. And it doesn't matter. You see like Nimona's in the form of a little kid right now. Blackheart's in disguise. And they look at like some weird creature. She's trying to pull him away from a booth in one uh, panel there. <laughs> she shows some graffiti that she made on one panel. She like begs him to leave on one panel. And then right down the middle of the whole page, there's a big lightning bolt that's going into a huge Tesla coil. And it actually comes out and goes beyond mm. the panels. Yes. I'm given this the breaking the form award. That's one of our favorite awards. We love it. You know, th there's the form where you're contained in the panels. And then sometimes you just got to get out there and really show that impact. Um, that scene itself, I thought was so awesome because it's just that heart of, I, I think she tells Blackheart like, hey, I know you love science. I wanted to take you out and she's trying to cheer him up. And again, that's that character, them playing off each other. It's so charming. It's just so delightful. It really is. What do you got? All right. My first is best chapter intro award. And I am giving this out to the intro of chapter four, uh, chapter three ends whenever they are at the institution and chapter four begins and you see this silhouette of the bird. I'm going to break down the panels for you. This red bird is flying across the city. There are street lamps where there are huddled figures underneath. You see this huge statue of 
um, golden loin who's, you know, brandishing his sword. It says our hero underneath. A soldier come and knocks a bum who's laying underneath. He says, you can't sleep here, bub. And then the bird flies out of the city um, into the outskirts where there's smoke across the farm countryside and into a dark and looming castle where the bird flies into a window. Silhouette changes into Nimona. Boss, I'm home. And I love silent panels. I love these sort of sequences that um, really unveil the world. A lot of this uh, story is told in kind of like, you know, characters up close and, you know, their body shots. And this is one where you kind of get that, again, bird's eye view and you see what the city, the castles and the sort of geography of the world looks like. And I love that world building. That's fun. That's got to be really, you know, just fun as the artist to just get into that and just imagine what would the whole village look like? What would the whole country look like? I love those, you know, where they pull it back a little bit, give you an even bigger yeah. view. Exactly. What do you got next? All right. The next one that I got, I'm going to give you the award right at the top. This one's going to get the award for best silent storytelling in screenwriting, they're always telling us to show and not tell. And I think that this is a great example of this. So kind of earlier on in their relationship, um, they are having a little movie night, Nimona and Blackheart. And at the end of the movie, Nimona has fallen asleep and Blackheart is just there watching the end by himself. And he says, that's a waste of time. And he looks over. He notices that she's asleep and she's kind of curled up in his cape and he says i'm gonna go to bed and he tries to pull it but she's asleep so he finally you know against his his better judgment or against his instincts he sighs to himself and he takes a little clip and he clips off his cape and he covers her in it and tucks her in and slowly silently walks away that one's getting best silent storytelling because it shows that he's got a little soft spot for nimona he's not all just stone um and ice and it just you know it's very sweet and touching that was a moment i believe that's the end of a chapter as well that was a moment where i really like put my comic down and I was like, this is special. Like yeah. this is really doing something more than kind of what I, I was expecting. And it's those character moments, you know, you, you really bring that humanity where you cast this villain and then this villainous sidekick. But at the end of the day, you know, they're two kind of broken people who are caring for each other, even though outwardly the way they talk to each other and the way they do are always annoyed, joking, you know, you can't come with me and all this. And then whenever she's asleep, it's just that tenderness. And oh, man, I love that moment. I loved it. What do you got? All right. My next is called the award for cutest kill. And it's one of the early on fight scenes, I got to say these fight scenes are dope. And she is this red, I would say a fox, but really it looks like a wolf. And she is just tearing through guard. She attacks at the top left panel. Guard goes flying and she's like, Arr. and then she, this guard is like coming at her. And then he goes, what? And there's this cute little girl who's in a red dress and she's so innocent. And then she runs by real fast and pulls out his dagger and stabs him in the back with the, <laughs> with the, the word that just says stab. And then, you know, she stands up and it's Nimona again and he's dead. You know, she stabbed him in the back. And then this guard like drops his sword and runs away. And, 
man, again, I was talking at the top about the art, and this just captures Noelle Stevenson. She really, the art here is so dynamic, and the movement is so fast. And what I love about it is it's not just a badass action scene, which it is, and there's plenty more of them too, um, but it also tells about the characters themselves and the way that Nimona sort of manipulates emotions and uses her powers to kind of... Um, again, manipulate, you know, her teammates, but also the enemies. And then um, also she stabs people in the backs and kills guards. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting. And it's like she how she uses her sense of humor as part of her weaponry. Yes. Um, and I yeah, that made me laugh out loud when she stabbed him. And it's like stylized. It's like stab exclamation part. So it looked yes. like really happy. It's like stab. Yeah. That was so funny. <laughs> and his face is just like, oh. Like he's got, and she's like, got like just a yeah. big smile and wide eyes. Yeah, oh, man. it's perfect. All right, what do you got next, bud? Great award, great award. Okay, my last one. You're right. There are tons of awesome action sequences in this, and I chose one for my next award. I'm giving this. Um, I'm calling this the "Make This Into a Cartoon" award because this one scene was so much fun. It's a later fight scene, and I could just kind of sense this um this action and this movement in it that was coming off the panels and i just wanted to see it in motion form and basically balisters fighting a couple people you know we got some sword fights some clanging and namona's doing this shape shifting across panels and this is another great form breakdown um she's fighting different bad guys and first she's a fox and she's jumping onto a gun and then she's becoming a huge octopus and you know, strangling someone and then she's a bat and then she's back to herself and she's kicking someone in the head. And I could just see this, you know, played out in a cartoon with yeah. the movement, with the motion into it. And we'll come back to this in Adaptation Alley, but I thought that there are some sequences that are just tailor-made for animation. This is one of them. That's why I'm giving it my Make This a Cartoon Award. Fantastic. I love it so much. There's so many times in fight scenes where you kind of lose what's going on. You're just seeing people punch and you're seeing people kick and people slash. And you're kind of like, yeah, this is cool. I'm seeing action, but I'm not sort of seeing it strung together. And what you're talking about is seeing the sort of visual momentum of these characters and the way she is transforming. And it all makes perfect sense. The way the panels are flowing, you can see it. You know, it really truly makes sense and you can like uh, linearly the way the battle is taking place and it really, really speaks to Noelle Stevenson's, you know, visual storytelling powers because she is fantastic. I thought the action scenes were killer and that one you're speaking to um, is got to be, you know, one of the tops because those shapes shifting scenes were badass. Yeah, they were great. It kind of reminded me of, you know, maybe like Nightcrawler in the X-Men films where it's like poof, poof, these transformations. Yeah. What's your next award, my buddy? My next and last award is goes to the most horrific flashback award. And this is very, very near the end. It has been alluded to the whole time that Nimona has some very traumatic past where she has been experimented on of some kind. And here we see it. Um, the panel goes to sort of these monotone reds, almost sepia tone. And there is these shadowy figures throughout the panel. This first shadowy figure is shaving the back of her hair. So that's kind of how she gets her hairstyle. The 
next one, there are these overhead hospital lights beaming down on her as she's tied up and has this, you know, metal bracer where they're running experiments on her. The next, there are three shadows riding at clipboards while she is huddled in the corner of this glass room that they're observing her. And then next is, again, like injecting her with some sort of shot. And then it shows her escape. So then the next shot is her like in this stasis tube. And there's this sort of black energy just coming out of her chest through the tube and then turning into a monster and you see her and then the final panel there is this uh it's the green stasis tube she's at the very end where then baluster comes to go rescue her whenever he runs back into the institution and again it was alluded to her trauma but then whenever you see it it kind of makes sense and then you see baluster there and it really delivers that emotional impact of like he is back for her he does care for, for her no one else has in her entire life and here he is to rescue her powerful just yeah there's some incredibly powerful storytelling in here yeah, the way the panels flow together there, it it sort of breaks the sort of uh, grid and it just kind of flows together. And again, that sepia tone just really tells you it's a flashback and, you know, looks extra horrific. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our art awards. Lastly, we are going to stroll down Adaptation Alley to talk about what this would look like as an adaptation. Adam has all the deets there. Adam, why don't you, why don't you take us down Adaptation Alley? Join me on this journey down adaptation alley this was set to hit the screens you know that things were in the works and um, i say was because a lot changed but it was basically being developed by a company called blue sky studios let me double check and make sure i got that name right yeah blue sky studios was in charge of it um they're a division of 20th Century Fox animation. They have made things like Ice Age and Spies in Disguise, the Rio movies, you know, some some animated hits. And um, everything was in the works until they were acquired by Disney. And that kind of put things into, I guess, slow motion. But they kept saying, we're still going to make this. This is definitely happening. Um, and it was set to begin production this year, but then earlier this year, they announced that Blue Sky Studios was being shut down, mm. and they unfortunately put the brakes onto the adaptation of Nimona, which is sad because they had also announced that Chloe Grace Moritz was going to be the voice of Nimona. Love it was going to be an animated feature. And um, Riz Ahmed was set to voice Ballister Blackheart, which I think would have been really, really interesting uh, casting choice. You know, I don't think anything is really dead in Hollywood. And something like this, all it needs is a new buyer, someone to come in and say, you know what, we're going to buy these rights from Disney and develop this because it's got a built-in audience. It's a really interesting story with a unique viewpoint. It's got an animated style that's very distinct. And, you know, it's critically acclaimed. So why not? Hopefully someone out there comes to save the day by Nimona make this into a show. I think this would do really well. I think it would be a great movie. I could totally see this as a movie from the structure, but I would like it, you know, as more of like a limited series as or, or even just a, a, you know, an ongoing series and see where we could take this because there's lots of things that would just be fun to explore. These characters that you just kind of tease on like that scientist professor, yes. like let's find out more about her. Yes. And, um, and then there is also 
I think that the the mystery behind it kind of lends itself to the structure. I don't I hate to say it, but you know, the kind of mystery box storytelling Agreed. where you're just wondering what is happening. What is Nimona's past? Yes. Why are all these things happening? Um and how is the institution involved? Because you know that they knew more than they were letting on the whole time. And so I think that would lend itself really well to kind of like a limited series or even an ongoing series. So hopefully someone, like I said, comes and buys it. Everyone's looking for IP these days. Right. Buy Mona. Dude, and as you were talking, I you you jumped to the same exact conclusion I did. I was like, this would work perfectly as a TV series because it does kind of have that. Well, one, it's a world that is like feels really lived in. And I think TV shows do that really well where they can just inhabit a world and really explore the nooks and crannies kind of like you were mentioning. But also it has that real narrative thread where, you know, each episode can be sort of that, um, you know, heist of the week where, you know, it's Blackheart and Nimona kind of going in to the institution. They're always going on these missions, but then there's always sort of the meta arc, uh, the mega arc of kind of who is Nimona, where does she come from? And then the story of Ambrosius and Ballister. And I think it plays perfectly. And to add to that, I mean, Noelle Stevenson, she's, you know, Writing at Netflix, I don't know at Netflix what company, what production studio that is, but she did She-Ra and the Princess of Power, which is a mega sort of hit for YA teens. It's that same kind of cartoon style. It looks great. She has the chop. She's executive producer over there working. So I I could see her even, you know, getting on board and taking this. And like you said, Adam... I want to see this go even further. Like whenever it ended, I was like, there is a lot more meat on that bone. Like this could keep going. And I don't know if Noelle Stevenson wants to, and I want it to be her choice. You know, I don't want this. I don't want somebody else to continue the story, but if she has more to say, I would love to see that. Yeah. And like you said, I think that's a mark of a a great TV show is it has these worlds that feel really lived in. feels like the story existed before we came into it and could still exist afterwards. And someone should make this. And, and last point I want to say there is you mentioned the studio, um, the properties you mentioned were kind of those computer graphics, 3D, Pixar, DreamWorksy things. I don't know about you, but I can only imagine this as Noelle Stevenson's kind of artwork style. You know, you kind of take her sensibilities, add a little bit of, bit of that kind of like Cartoon Network, Steven Universe, all those. I, I don't watch those, but yeah. I know those are just so popular, those kind of like Teen Titans Go kind of things. And I mean, I think it would be just a layup. And you, if you can put that on Netflix, I mean, it would just be a mega hit. That's right. Get that, right. Get that IP, baby. Get that IP and keep it going. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this month's episode of Comic Club. Thanks for joining us for Pride Month, everybody. You can follow Comic Club Podcast across the internet at Comic Club Podcast. Tell a friend, leave a review on your podcast app of choice, and that is going to do it. You can follow me at Blaine McGaff on Twitter. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And that's going to be it for this month. Adam, Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend. Follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast. 
and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Thank you.